We have begun a journey through the heart book of the Old Testament. If you can get the concepts of Deuteronomy down, you will have a good handle on the rest of the Old Testament and a good foundation for understanding the New. As we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 19 and following, we find Moses challenging a generation to be willing to face the challenge and go in and claim the promises of God. He calls them not to a life of ease, but a life of struggle, a life that will culminate, however, in victory. Listen as Dave shares. How many of you ever come to a place in your Christian life where you just say, you know, the Christian life is just too hard? How many of you have ever found that the Christian life is filled with struggle? How many of you can remember back before you knew the Lord, when you were just a normal, everyday unbeliever, wasn't life a little bit easier back then? In fact, I have believers that come to me and say, you know, I have some unbelieving friends, and their life seemed so uncomplicated. It seemed so simple. It seemed so fun. And my life is filled with conflict. And that's true. When you decide to follow Jesus, the Lord Jesus never said there wouldn't be giants in the land. There are giants in the land. And there are giants that can kill you. But he says, I'm within you. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But what can happen to us is we can begin to rebel. And rebellion is a spirit that begins to come over an entire group. And when you begin to get rebellious, you start griping. And when you start griping, you begin to say things like, man, the Lord's really, really bad. You see, that's what the children of Israel started to say. The Lord God really isn't that good. All the evidence was just contrary to that. The Lord powerfully separated the Red Sea, took two million people through it. He just took care of them in this vast and terrible desert. He fed them. He gave them water. He gave them everything they needed. And yet they come to Kenesh Barnea and they said, the Lord brought us out here to kill us. Now, the neat thing about reading about the children of Israel is all of us can piously sit there and go, man, I can never believe they were rebellious. You ever feel that way? How could they gripe like that? How could they ever doubt? I mean, you mean a people that went through the Red Sea actually thought God wanted to kill them? How stupid could they get? Well, isn't hindsight always great? You see, the, what I realized as I listened to the Lord talk me through this passage is that kind of nutty, irrational rebellion is in my own heart. Anybody in this audience ever get mad at God? You thought God was out to get you? And don't be pious about it. It's very important to be honest about that. You see, we can come on Sunday morning and we can sing, boy, you know, our, all creatures of our God and King, and we're going to sing praise to him. And in our hearts, we can say, Lord, I think you're really trying to, you know what, to me. And that's a spirit of rebellion. And then you begin to gripe. You can begin to gripe, and, and as you begin to gripe in your tents, it starts to infect like a cancer. It goes all over the place. And that's what Moses is calling the attention of the people. You see, that griping and that rebellious spirit destroys the unity, and it causes a whole group of people, instead of having their eyes on God, to begin to have their eyes on the giant. And they say, we want to go back. We want to go back down here in Egypt. And they forget all about, hey, you were slaves in Egypt. You were being destroyed in Egypt. Egypt was not Disneyland USA. 
It was blood and whips and, and hour and hours and hours of, of slave labor. But up at Kadesh Barnea, they forgot all about the pain of being back in Egypt. The same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. We can forget about the pain at Kadesh spiritually. We can forget the pain of what it really is to live under the control of the passions of our evil nature. What it really is to be in Satan's kingdom. We forget about that. And we want to go back. And Moses is, is reminding the people of the sin of rebellion, the sin of griping, which led them to the sin of disobedience. And I want to share something with you. This biblical stuff will not work if you disobey. I'm going to say that again. Everything that we talk about and teach from this holy word of God, if you don't obey, and if I don't obey, it will not work. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. You see, there's an old song. Remember that song? Trust and... You know what we say in the American church today? Trust. We omit the obey. We just trust. We all love Jesus. We abort our babies. We have affairs. We steal. We cheat on in our income tax. We're not any different from the world system, but boy, do we trust in Jesus. Isn't it great to love Jesus? It's so good to be born again. And Jesus says, baloney. You don't obey me. You don't love me. Book of John. In the book of John, love, faith, and obedience are all interrelated. Jesus said, if you love me, in the book of John, you will finish it. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The two are always related. And Deuteronomy is reminding us in the ancient pages of Scripture, when you come to Kadesh, the problem is there's no trust. And when there's no trust, there's no obedience. You say, Dave, why when you feel like, man, you know, like you just got to cheat a little bit on your income tax. You know, when you're all by yourself and you're studying, you're the one that is doing the accounting and you're trying to manipulate those figures. Why don't you cheat a little bit? Because it would make it easier and nobody will ever know because my Father in Heaven knows. And if I believe with all my heart that if my Father in Heaven doesn't bless me, if He takes away His blessing for just a few minutes, I'm a goner. I really believe that. I believe he's the one that provides for me. I think he's the one that controls whether or not you listen, whether or not people respond. He's in control of everything. So I've got to obey him. I want you to think like that. I want every one of you to think like that. Trust and obey. It's the only way to conquer rebellion. And Moses is reminding these precious people. He's saying, remember what your parents did. They came to the Kadesh in their life. They didn't trust and obey. They feared. They got afraid. They wouldn't go up and possess the land. Now Moses pled with them. Look what it says in verse 29. Then I said to you, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God who is going before you, he'll fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a daddy carried his son all the way you went until you reached this place. Moses pleaded with the people, don't gripe, don't be rebellious. Look at your daddy. And all of life boils down to one simple phrase, will you trust your daddy in heaven? Very important to understand that. 
And trust is so hard. In fact, well, imagery is hard for you. Like some of you girls didn't have a daddy you could trust growing up. As you look back over your life, some of you guys didn't have a daddy you can trust. So as soon as I tell you, trust your daddy in heaven, it recoils inside of you. And it's hard for you to trust. In fact, it's hard for you to trust anybody. The reason some of your marriages aren't working is that marriages depend upon trust. And some of you have never learned to trust. You can't trust anybody. Some of you girls say, man, I'm just totally unhappy with my husband. I, I, in fact, if I'm really honest, I hate his guts. Because you can't trust. And you say, well, Dave, how can I get victory over that? You need to go to the ultimate trustable fatherly figure, and that's God. Some of you could stand up and say, that's what I've learned to do. Some of you come up out of situations where you couldn't trust your daddy as far as you could throw him. But early in your life, you said, I trust the ultimate daddy in heaven. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to love him. And that daddy in heaven has taught you how to love, taught you how to trust. And that's the deliverance of entering into the spiritual promised land. But some of you are angry with God because you think God is like some of the human figures that have represented him to you. And you need to separate that out. Or you'll have Kadesh and you'll chicken out. You've got to learn to trust. And what Moses is saying to the people, he said to the children of Israel, look at the evidence. And I would challenge every one of you, because I don't know where you are today. I would challenge every one of you to ask yourself, what do I think about my daddy in heaven today? Are you afraid? Are you like someone that, a dear friend of mine, and one of my friends says, well, the sovereign God made his first mistake. I hope he reasserts his sovereignty quickly. Are you afraid? Your daddy in heaven says, trust me. My older brother, Don, wrote a song. Our God is still in control. Amen? Do you believe that? All the Christian life is what Moses is telling us. Do you trust your daddy? And he's saying, remember how he carried you and what I'd encourage you to do today. Every one of you, I would encourage you to go back over your life and remember your salvation history. Remember the times when your daddy carried you. Remember the times when your daddy brought you through times you didn't think you could get through. And that's what gives you courage to live today. Dave Lowry's boss at the seminary, Harold Honer, used to always tell us at exam time when we were so discouraged and, we, and half the guys wanted to quit seminary. He would tell Dave and I when we were his students, he would tell the whole class, he would say, remember before you go into exams, look back over all your career in school and think about how God has sustained you. Now, for some of the students, that was not a very good thing to do. <laughs> but you understand the point. Go back over in the moments of present crisis, in the moments of present decision, go back and remember the presence of God and the sufficiency of God and the joy of serving God and what he's done for you in the past. And that gives you courage to walk into the unknown of the future. It gives you courage to walk into the land of the giants when you don't even know where the giants are. And that's what Moses is trying to get these people to respond to. He's focusing them on the salvation history that they had in God bringing them out of Egypt up into this land. But then he has to go on in verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore. And I want to tell you something. 
The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in mercy. But one of the things that hurts him the most is if you don't trust him. Just like with you. If Mary wants to hurt me, the most powerful way that she can hurt me is not to trust me. If she robs me of that, then she's got a hold of my jugular vein and there will be tremendous passionate emotion that will flow from that. And brothers and sisters, we are rapidly moving into a society where husbands and wives have no idea the depth of the meaning of trust. We live in a society where if there's illicit relationships, the whole idea is everything's fine. Everything will be great. Isn't it great? We had a little fling and everything would be fine. It's not great. It's not great at all. There's fury that comes from that. If you don't believe that, just come into observation of counseling at the clinic or in a pastor's office or anywhere else. You're going to find out when you break trust, it hurts. Now, there can be tremendous forgiveness, but I want you this morning to recapture the hurt that comes when trust is broken, and God is illustrating this. When the children of Israel looked at God, looked into his eyes, he said, I'm giving you a good gift. Joel walked into me about four days after my birthday, and he said, Dad, I want you to have this. And he gave me a really neat gift, a special CD that I've been hunting all over for. And what would happen if I looked at Joel and said, you stupid guy, you're late, and I hate what you gave me. That hurts. That's not what I say. I love Joel. I say, Joel, this is tremendous. Man, it's really special. Let's play it. But you hurt somebody when you reject him. I want you to start to think about your relationship with God like that. And God gets angry. He's a great, infinite God. But he has feelings, infinite feelings. And what he's saying here is, I got angry with Israel. I gave him a good Christmas gift several hundred years early. I'm going to give you the land. It's yours for the taking. I'll conquer the giants. You think human giants are tough when I open the Red Sea so you can walk through on dry land? You think giants are tough when I fed you in the wilderness? Giants are nothing for me. I'll do the fighting for you. People said, no, we don't want it. And that hurts them. I want you to start to relate to God on that individual level, that personal level, because that's what's going to turn us away from sin. What turns you away, away from sin is a new relationship of trust and love. Not laws, not regulations, but a new relationship. And God gets angry. And he says, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he will see the land and I will give him, this is verse 56, and his descendants, the land that he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. What a contrast. The children of Israel rejecting one man combined with Joshua, two men, who follow the Lord holy. It says, Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also. You shall not enter it as before, but your assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it, and the little ones that you said would be taken captive. Your children, who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land, and I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will now go up and fight as the Lord our God has commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. 
But the Lord said to me, tell them not to go up and fight because I will not be with them. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you and they chased you like a swarm of bees. They beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. And so you spent and stayed at Kadesh. My message as we close is that I'm really concerned. You know what I find? I find the teenagers are really responding to the ministry of the gospel. A lot of young people all over this land, they're really listening, really paying attention. There's some of the young people that are willing to get up real early in the morning, meet for discipleship breakfast. The text is saying, you know what it's saying? It's saying to the middle generation, the older generation, what about you? What about you? I had a youth, youth pastor in my study a week ago. He said, Dave, the biggest problem that I have with my young people is the uncommittedness of their parents. He said, the biggest problem that I have with my young people is the uncommittedness of their parents. You see, mom and dad, this text is saying there were two adults in a whole generation that fully followed the Lord, Caleb and Joshua. And this Christianity stuff, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, can't be a cup half filled. You see, what this text is saying is when you came to Kadesh, see, the big decision of Kadesh, Kadesh, will you wholly follow the Lord? Will you fully give your life to the Lord? Will you let him have your hands? Will you let him have your feet? Will you let him have your eyes? Will you let him have your mind? Will you let him have your entire body? Will you fully, wholly, and completely follow the Lord? In the generation of Kadesh, two men stepped forward and said, yes, we will. Not even their big leader, Moses, not even, not even Moses, wholly followed the Lord. And he couldn't go into the land. The griping, the rebellion, the drag of those people pulled him at the very spot, near this very spot of Kadesh Barnea, 38 years after the children of Israel rebelled, he struck a rock when he should have just spoken to it. And he took the glory of giving water to the people upon himself because he got angry. And he got angry because the wear and tear of dealing with a rebellious, gripey people poisoned him as well. Now, the amazing grace of the New Testament is that the transfiguration, Moses is talking with the Messiah in the promised land. And that's another story. There's amazing grace. I want to focus on the earthly story, which is a very important one. I want every one of you to realize you can come to your mountaintop and you can look down in the ravine and you can decide to go to the top or you can turn around. If you turn around, you walk into a wilderness. You start just existing in your life. You start waiting for yourself to die. Instead of being vibrantly involved in bringing people to Christ, 
You're just living from one day to the next. The choice that I'm offering to you is I believe that every one of you, if you'll fully give yourself to the Lord, there will be prisons for you to go into as long as your health can stand it. There will be a want of children. You see, those want of children are going to just keep on coming through the schools. There will be a want of children for you to touch. Ladies, there will be girls that just moved into the neighborhood that are lonely, that you can invite to have coffee and to, to study the Word of God together. There's going to be college kids from now until the Lord calls us home. There's a promised land. There's lives to be touched. Are you going to just live in the wilderness? Are you just going to be existing in your life? Are you just going to be muddling through it? Or are you going to say, no, Lord, I'm going to fully follow you. I'm going to give you my entire body. Even if you slay me in fighting the giants, I'm going to go up and possess the land. You see, the Anakim remind us of another boy, another Israelite named David. David looked at a giant and remembered a bear and remembered a lion. And he took a stone. And like my friend from Texas, Red Harper, said, he took a stone and he slang it. And the giant came tumbling down. There's are giants ahead this year. New people that need to hear the Savior. New children. There's a whole generation of children that are being raised without moms and dads that care. Will your hearts be full? Full of the Lord. So they're full of love. If you give your life wholly for him. If you trust and obey. You won't wander in the wilderness. You'll eat the fruit of the promised land. Now, you always tell me I never complete stories. The Mount Hoffman guys said, David, are you kidding me? We would not go back to Word of Life Island for a million dollars till we climb that mountain. And they said, we don't care whether it's getting dark. We don't care whether there's a million logs between us and the top of the mountain. We're going to the top. A kid got stung by a bee and his mouth swelled up like a, like a Swahili Indian or whatever that, that Indian is in Africa with a bone in his mouth. I thought he'd have to bring in a helicopter to get him out. He said, no, Dave, I'll be all right. This happened before. I said, right. His lip is out here like this. He kept walking. Man, they scraped and bruised. At 6.30, after sleeping on an incline like this, which don't ever do, it's stupid. You wake up in the middle of the night and your sleeping bag's rolling down the mountain. At 5 o'clock in the morning, about 5 or 6, they shook me in their sleeping bag. They said, Wurtzen, let's go. We're headed to the top. I said, okay. Struggled out. We got to the top of the mountain. They climbed there. It was a little bit below the tree line. They climbed up in these little Christmas trees, swaying in the wind. The fog was over the Adirondack lakes. The sun busted out over the mountains, the green mountains of Vermont, and sprayed sunlight all over that water wonderland. And the guy says, David, we're going to sing. You're going to have to help us with the words. They didn't know the words very well. The sun came up over those mountains. They sang, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. And when I think that God has son not sparing, 
sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. When on the cross my burden gladly bearing, and they sang how great thou art. One of those kids, as all the rest of them were falling asleep in the car going back, he had this compass in his hand. He looked at the compass and he looked over at me while I was driving to make sure I was awake. And he looked at his compass and he looked over at me and he says, David, I got it. I said, what do you mean you got it? Man, I got a sore back and sore legs. He says, I've got it. He said, for two weeks you've been telling me that I need to trust. He said, I'm a sit and I've been scared to death for two days. And for two days I've done nothing but shield my arms, my head from pine trees and look at a compass. That compass heading took us right to the top of Mount Hoffman and we reversed it and it took us right back to this car. He said, David, you're telling us that Jesus is the way. You want us to trust him? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to do that. Just like I trusted this little piece of metal, I'm going to wholly trust this person called Jesus. 